So in today's episode, I'm joined by Scott Mowry, uh, Senior Director of Advertising at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, based in my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio, the clinic is an iconic institution, not only in Northeast Ohio, but on a global healthcare stage. Um, a good representation of its broader impact beyond just medicine is an announcement earlier this year that the clinic will anchor a $565 million innovation district in Cleveland, helping to further the city as a hub for healthcare technology and research. Scott and I cover a number of topics in our conversation, uh, including why working in healthcare is, is very personal for him. We hope you enjoy the discussion, and for more episodes of Traction Talks, visit us at tractionpartners.com or go to tractiontalks.buzzsprout.com for a full library of episodes. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to Traction Talks. Uh, Today, we're talking with Scott Mowry. Uh, Scott's the Senior Director of Advertising at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, He and I actually go back professionally about 20 years, uh, which is a little disconcerting to think that it could be that long. Uh, when we both both worked in the retail e-commerce space in uh, some of the early days of digital. Uh, Scott currently oversees strategy and optimization for patient acquisition efforts through paid search marketing with responsibility for over 130 service line campaigns uh, at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, he also has responsibility for digital analytics and tag management. Uh, so, Scott, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, since we started this series last year, I would say we've spoken with a number of thought leaders who have primarily been from, I would say, specific specialty areas from within healthcare. So we've really been looking forward to this conversation with someone uh, from a holistic perspective of a very large, uh, and obviously in this case, world-renowned hospital system like the clinic. Uh, plus, being a Cleveland native myself, it's uh, it's always nice to talk to fellow Northeast Ohioans. A little jealous mm-hmm. it's sunny there. It's actually not here in Atlanta, so uh, that probably doesn't happen real often. But, yeah, uh, only, only once or twice a year, but it's, uh, yeah, we lucked out today. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, great. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump right in. Um, so, Scott, you've uh, I know you've held marketing roles in various companies and industries, but uh, you know, as we were talking about earlier, you've you've really found a home here in healthcare. Uh, what makes this industry so different? Do you think, and uh, how has this you know how has it been so meaningful for you personally? Well, I, I think the the biggest challenge or what makes it different, I guess, in, in healthcare marketing is really the idea of measurement. Um, you know, it's one thing that you can see how many patients that you have, but being able to attribute those to marketing campaigns can be a challenge. You know, our industry, as compared to retail and some other industries, we have a lot of our own individual challenges with privacy, uh, HIPAA laws that, you know, really don't allow us to get as much insight with things like retargeting that maybe you can get in some other industries. We also have challenges across our industry with um, tracking patients, um, you know, from a lead who maybe is interested in coming to your facility to actually tracking it all the way to a patient, because a lot of times that uh, electronic medical record can sometimes become like this black hole where you can't necessarily tie the initial lead to an actual patient. So we've found different ways that we can do that while still maintaining privacy and security and all that. But that definitely gives us a few more hoops to jump through. Um, you know, as for how how working in healthcare is meaningful, I mean, the, the big thing for me is that I've seen it time and time again in my 13 or so years of being at the clinic that is that impact of what our work can have on other people's lives um, and getting them the care they need. You know, the campaigns that we do in really acute areas, such as like heart failure or prostate cancer or things like that, I mean, we know that, you know, at the end of the day, that the people who we are 
acquiring as patients and as leads, um, those people in many ways are having their lives saved by coming to Cleveland Clinic. And so it's not to us a matter of just simply, hey, what are the, you know, what are the dollars that we're making here? What's the ROI? But it's, it's, hey, the amount of lives that we serve both in Northeast Ohio and really worldwide and just seeing how many people we can help, that's really important. Um, from my own perspective, even personally, um, before I came to Cleveland Clinic, I was, um, I was diagnosed with uh, stage 3 Hodgkin's lymphoma um, and was actually treated for my Hodgkin's disease at Cleveland Clinic um, before I worked there a few years later. So I know firsthand of the, the quality of the work that they do. And to me, it's, it's something where I really enjoy the fact that we can help people that sometimes just really can't find answers or really just trying to improve a really difficult situation. Yeah. No, you're, you're so right. And, you know, we, you and I both started in, uh, in more of the retail e-commerce side, but certainly, you know, healthcare, just the meaning of the work. And, and you know, you talked about some of the challenges and uniqueness. And I'm sure, you know, your own situation from years ago has given you a unique perspective on um, on the medical um, profession and, and, you know, healthcare in general. So I'm sure that that's uh, been something that it's, you know, it's been in the back of your mind or has been kind of part of you as you've, as you've uh, been in this space for many years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of, kind of transitioning into into that. You talked about some of the unique challenges of healthcare, which obviously there are many. You know, you mentioned a few like like privacy and HIPAA, et cetera. Um, you know, patient intake is obviously such an important part of the process, uh, and one that's obviously very intertwined with customer acquisitions. So how do you see that integration play out in some of your marketing programs at the clinic? Well, you know, I think for our paid tactics, we we take an approach to acquiring patients that's a little different from a lot of other systems. Um, we really focus on acquiring leads um, through offering them gated content. Um, so, for example, we may have a person who has uh, who may think that they have atrial fibrillation. We we offer an atrial fibrillation treatment guide that they can read about so they can understand the symptoms, the causes potential treatment options and then learn more about why they should choose us for that care versus other versus other systems. So we we focus more on that instead of like the the initial hard sell of like come here, see us now. It's a lot of times people aren't quite ready to make that decision. They want to get some of their questions answered first or try to get a better handle on what is this disease or condition that they're dealing with. So you know, it's a big strength for us, the amount of content that we have that we produce in-house. So we're able to leverage that to our advantage. Um, but then we work with that. And once we have those leads, we're able to then also look on the patient side and see, okay, here are patients that we got for this particular institute. Here is the, you know, contribution margin or net revenue that we that we generate through these patients. And we're able to, to match those leads and patients up through things such as um, email addresses or zip code, things of that sort. So we're able to kind of connect the dots to see how um, how these campaigns play out. But what we also do is that, you know, all these conditions have different, uh, you want to call them like as a purchase cycle of when a person starts thinking about coming to a facility like ours and then when they actually come through the door and get their surgery or get seen, how long is that gap? In some cases, you know, a condition such as hip pain where you may not initially want to get your hip replaced, but you might want to just kind of gut it out and look for, you know, alternative forms of treatment. Um, so that might take, you know, eight or nine months before you finally pull the trigger to come in to get surgery. Whereas someone who has a condition like kidney cancer, 
You don't have the luxury of being able to wait. You have to come in right away. So we do measure our leads and try to match them to patients over a rolling 12-month window. So we look at it as that once we capture a name or an email address, you know, if we get them as a patient within 12 months, we will count that towards our totals. Um, so it does give us some flexibility, and we have a pretty good sense with all of our different campaigns, what's the average cycle between when a person becomes a lead to when they become a patient, you know, how long is that gap? Um, and then also from the intake process, we also look at some other variables to see how much value uh, this particular patient will bring to us. So it's things like understanding, is this a new patient who has never been to Cleveland Clinic before, um, or is it someone who goes there frequently for other conditions in Northeast Ohio? Um, we also look at things such as payer mix. So we get a sense of, is it private pay? Is it, is it covered under Medicare, Medicaid, things of that sort? So we're able to get a pretty good lens on what we're bringing in from our campaigns, but um, we have to kind of connect different pieces to get to that point. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, I would say we see very similar things on our side with some of our clients. You know, for example, one of our earliest clients was a mental health uh, service provider. And, you know, they were uh, they were serving patients from really all over the country, specifically from the southeast, but really could come from anywhere. And in that case, you're talking about six, seven, eight months potential lead, you know, lead time frame from initial outreach to becoming a patient and there's also multiple people involved in that where in many cases for them it was you know it was a, a parent or a spouse or somebody else who was kind of helping guide the, you know, the eventual oh, patient on this process yeah absolutely i mean that's that's the thing is you know a lot of times when you're serving up these ads and you're capturing information a lot of times the eventual patient that you get isn't necessarily the person filling out the form to request the content. It could become the, uh, you know, the person's spouse. Um, for example, that's usually the case. Like I, I joke around sometimes that like in my household, I look at my wife as being like the chief medical officer of our family, whether it be for me or my kids. Um, but yeah, that makes a difference. And I think the language that you use to try to get that lead um, the method at which you follow up and try to nurture those leads by providing additional content, you're not necessarily just answering the questions for the patient, but you're also answering questions for their loved ones and understanding things like you mentioned with travel. Um, for us, we have some campaigns that are just Northeast Ohio, so it's an easy drive. There's other campaigns that we target all 50 states, and that you know, brings about a whole new complexity of understanding how do I get to Cleveland, you know, how do I get to Cleveland Clinic, how do I navigate this campus that we have that's enormous and can be really intimidating if you've never been there before. So we do a lot to put that information out there, make it easy for someone to grasp and really help assure them that, you know, they're coming to the right place for care. Um, and hopefully with the other content we provide, it, it helps encourage them to, to choose us for their, for their treatment. No, it's so true. And, uh, and you're right. I mean, the messaging is, is obviously very critical, especially since it may not be the, the end patient who's, you know, who's seeing those first messages or is doing that initial research. So that's great mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, to uh, sort of move deeper in that point, let's talk about data a little bit. Um, obviously, layering in data to run more sophisticated campaigns is obviously very effective these days, but certainly for all the reasons you've already mentioned, it can be very challenging in healthcare, just, you know, given patient privacy and, and you know, the need for 
for that. Um, how have you seen that evolve uh, at the clinic in terms of just using data and, you know, how you've been able to apply some of that to, to your campaigns? Sure. So there's, you know, we, we're pretty, we're lucky to be pr pretty data rich at the clinic in a number of ways, both in terms of how we measure our campaigns, but also the, um, the data that we're able to get from our, our clinical teams as well that they're seeing with patients. So I would say in my time over the last decade that the evolution I've seen has really come in areas such as tracking across multiple environments, such as a website and an app, for example. Um, one area where that really stands out for us is our um, virtual visits app that we use, Express Care Online. So, you know, being able to have traffic that we have on our website that then goes into download an app and then start a virtual visit from that app, being able to connect all those dots has been challenging, but we figure out ways to do that. I think also tying in other elements such as our live chat functionality with our website is the one thing. Um, another area where it's two different systems, but we're able to find ways to connect them. You know, we've done a lot in our in our Google Analytics using things such as event tracking also to show um, whether conversions are occurring and not just the main conversion of like someone booking an appointment, but maybe those kind of micro conversions that they may do during their journey on our website, such as looking at a physician profile or clicking a video to see if, you know, is that helping people make their decisions? Um, we've also seen a lot of advancements in areas like call analytics um, that we use in our ads and our landing pages to help detect trends and themes and even starting to layer in some things like artificial intelligence to be able to understand themes that maybe come up in, in these discussions. So, you know, I think it's trying to find information like that, but then also from the clinical side, we get a lot of information from them as to um, available slots for, for patients, of understanding areas of need, understanding uh, the mix of patients, things like payer mix again, items like that, that really help guide us in terms of what types of campaigns we do and, and the success metrics that we're looking for. Sure. Now that makes sense. So moving into uh, into research a little bit, and, um, you know, I think you touched on this a little bit earlier as well, but obviously there's, you know, there's it's, it's certainly an assumption at this point how big of a, a role online research now plays in healthcare decisions. You know, especially as you talk about or look at the, the millennial um, demographic and you know, certainly they're accustomed to doing everything online and digital and any generation that is coming behind them will certainly be even more so. Um, and, you know, you talked about your wife being the chief medical officer, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and I think many that's an analogy, I think, that probably plays out in many households, whether millennial or not. So I guess, uh, you know, what have you guys seen regarding that trend from your perspective and how it's uh, how it's impacted? Um, what you guys do? Yeah, I, I, a couple things. I think that the really the type of research really depends on where that where this potential patient or household is in the in the cycle, you know, of care. So, you know, I think you find early on when people are um, starting to do research, like if they're if they think they're diagnosed with a condition or they have symptoms. You know, everybody, a lot of people, no matter how many times you tell people maybe don't do this initially, a lot of people will, will initially go to Google and start, you know, looking up symptoms to see what, you know, what they think they have. And they, they play Dr. Google and try to figure it out for themselves. So, you know, you really need to find places that have reputable information for one thing in your research. But I think what we have found in our campaigns, you know, when we offer this, these treatment guides and other content is that, 
the leads that we capture, they are willing to dig through and read anything and everything that we throw their way if they feel like it's helping them understand a condition better. And so that can be, that can range from things like our treatment guides to videos to um, blog posts that we write for a physician audience, not even for a patient audience, but the patients will want to read it and consume it. And that's been really eye-opening to me. I I never really thought initially that the physician-facing content that we write for like medical journals and things like that, that patients would really have much of a care about reading that. But we do find that people are willing to, to dig into that if it gives them hope, if it gives them answers. You know, our whole objective is really trying to answer these questions and make, you know, help put them at ease. Um, but, you know, I think we, we find that with the additional content, you know, doing that through our marketing automation uh, programs that we use, once we capture a lead, we send follow-up messaging that can change depending on how they interact with the message, what content they choose to look at. Um, you know, that's really helped guide us. Um, but, you know, that during that initial research, it, it, it's also a thing where you don't, we find that you, a user who's doing the research doesn't necessarily want to make the decision about where they go first. They really want to get the information about, like, the symptoms, the causes, the, the possible treatment options, things like that. And so not necessarily even, like, what does Cleveland Clinic have, which is, hey, I just got diagnosed with some condition that I can barely even pronounce. I just need to learn all about what it is, how it's you know, how is it treated? What's the success rate? You know, what are the outcomes of this kind of treatment for this condition? And then after they get comfortable with that, that's when they start to then evolve in their decision-making process to think about where do they want to go for care? You know, and that's where we can point out some of the advantages that we have as a facility with our, with our physicians, with um, devices we may use or treatment options, things like that. So it, you can't really rush that, I think. Um, I think it's important for people to be comfortable first before they make a decision. The other part I think we find with research now is that, you know, I think more and more, especially not just millennials, but audiences of all ages is that I think they expect healthcare to be as convenient as ordering on Amazon or making a reservation on open table. You know, they expect the information to be right there, easy to reach, easy to digest immediately. And, you know, we've started to, you've seen in healthcare, the biggest example I think where this has come into play is, has been the number of healthcare systems that now publish physician ratings on their websites. Um, when I first started at the clinic, that was not being done by anybody. And uh, we were one of the early adopters of, of putting those on our website. And people go to them, and they, they use those to make decisions. And even things like as simple as like a Google review about a facility can help impact the decision. So I think people are, you know, have kind of pushed that to get that information out there. And it, I think it's beneficial because it helps people understand that uh kind of the human side of care, like particularly with physicians, they can learn more about them. Uh, we, we feature physician profile videos on our website to, um, to help patients learn a little more about our physicians and their, their model of care. And um, time and time again, we get feedback from our doctors of how patients will bring up something related to their, video, their profile video that the patient saw. Um, and so we've found that that's been really helpful just to kind of put a put a, you know, the human experience there and put a, kind of a face behind that care that we're offering. Yeah, those are some great points. And uh, and going back to your point about uh, just the amount of content out there, I mean, obviously it could be a bit of, bit of a double-edged sword, right? I mean, 
Yeah. You, you want to provide information. There's a lot of healthcare information out there that's not written for a, you know, end patient audience. Um, it's, you know, more kind of studies based and mm-hmm. certainly that also brings its own challenges. I mean, there's, you know, there could be a study that's published that's specific to a particular system and, you know, whether it's peer reviewed or, you know, the, the comparison of that data to, to, you know, what's actually relevant to that patient could be quite different. So, you know, you want to be very straightforward. I know on, on your website, you guys have very plain spoken language around, um, mm-hmm. you know, different um, diseases and treatment options. And, you know, it's important. Obviously, at that stage, you, you don't want to give too much information because, you know, you, you don't want people self-diagnosing themselves. You know, you talked about Dr. Google. But at the same time, giving them the information they need at that key time, um, you know, as they're sort of making their consideration. So. Yeah, I mean, you don't want you don't want to be overwhelming. I mean, you know, you got to put the information out there. But you know, I think things like more and more systems as they create content are thinking about things. Even something as simple as like the reading level of the content that you're you're producing. Um, you know, I know a lot of times when we work on content, you know, we'll we'll have we have it reviewed by our physicians and. We have to level set, I think, at times, like the language that's used in these of understanding the audience and what they're reading and what they may understand. It's, you know, we, we do try to make it simple to understand, but it does get deep, right? And going into different types of content, some of them can get more technical than others. But, um, but I think that is really important, though. It's like these people, a lot of times when they get diagnosed, they just they really don't even know what to do next. You know, and they have so many questions. And it's just trying to be empathetic and say, hey, I understand that, you you know, you're concerned. I understand you have questions. But, you know, here, here are some things that might help you get some answers, I think, is what we, we try to really focus on. Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, transitioning into analytics, since I know you have responsibility for that there on the, on the enterprise website, um, you know, once a, a patient or prospective patient lands on the clinic site, you know, what sort of macro trends, macro trends have you guys seen in your analytics, um, you know, just as, as far as changes in, uh, in digital behavior from the time that you first, first joined up there? Sure. Um, yeah, I would say in my time at the clinic, the biggest, I mean, there's been a lot of changes from the analytics side and the digital side just for website behavior and how in measurement. But, you know, I think the, the biggest thing by far we've seen is really the, the much larger focus on the mobile experience. Um, you know, we, our uh, chief um, marketing officer has this mantra that he, he says all the time to all of us in marketing that um, we always have to kind of run back to ourselves is that everything that we should be thinking about as a division should focus on three things, that it should be digital, mobile and measurable. And if the campaign or the, the the project you're working on really doesn't touch all three of those, we should really step back and kind of ask ourselves, well, should it? You know, how, how do we make it so it hits all three of those? The mobile experience is so huge now that it went from when I first started the clinic that, you know, you might have 20% of your audience or less that was on a mobile device. And as they've gotten more advanced and you have tablets and just the functionality that you, you know that the phones can offer it is it's just the same as a website and in some ways better so i think that's really come into play not just being able to view your website in a responsive layout you know on a phone but also taking advantage of of the smartphone's capabilities so things like like we have um a locations and directions um, section on our website, and it shows, you know, if you want to find the, the nearest urgent care facility, um, we show them sorted by distance based on the phone functionality of understanding your location. 
Um, so that helps improve the user experience by, you know, not showing a facility that's 40 minutes away is the, is the first listing when really there's one that's only five minutes away. So I think that's been a big focus. Um, you know, search is still, has always been the, the biggest traffic driver for us on our website by far. Um, organic search just continues to be uh, critical, especially for all these people who have questions and are looking for answers. Um, you know, our traffic focuses really heavily on content like our health library articles and our, our blog posts on our health essentials blog than it, than it really does on specific departments and positions. So that's been a bit of a shift, too, for how we prioritize what content is getting worked on. Um, I think you also find that people's attention spans are shorter now. So typically, if you know, if they can't find the right information on your website, they usually don't have the patience to stick around. They'll bounce and they have better options to find elsewhere. So you have to make sure that your site is organized, that your, your information is readily available and easy to find, not just within a Google search, but also within your own site search and your own, nav your own website's navigation. Um, the other trend I think we've seen is really that, um, you know, with social media, I think you, we've found that, you know, healthcare organizations can post frequently in this channel as long as users are getting really good value in that content. So I know when we first started, you know, doing social media through, uh, for the clinic that initially there was a lot of concern as to, you know, we should only be posting maybe once a day or once a week. And, and we quickly learned we, that that really isn't the case. And we actually, we're really proactive in going the other direction and really posting regularly and um, multiple times a day. And I think that's where with us, with the amount of content that we produce internally, it's a great advantage for us because we have very relevant content that we can serve to people. And we've, we also learned really quickly that when it comes to social media, it's not, for, especially for healthcare, it's not about bragging why your organization's the greatest or here's my department or whatever. It's really about offering that health content to users. So if you look at our Facebook channel, for example, I mean, the, the posts that you see have more to do with things like common health and wellness questions. It may not, we get into some more acute conditions, but really it's, it's helping to answer those basic questions that you have every day. You know, when the summer comes, there's a lot of posts we do about things like, um, choosing the right sunscreen, preventing swimmers here, um, you know, the right kind of healthy foods to have at a picnic, like stuff like that, um, which on the surface seems like, oh, it's not the same thing as like heart failure, but it's the thing where we use that to have people or to help people trust us as a source for quality medical advice. So, you know, they may not be sick right now, but if they have a serious condition later, they do tend to turn to us as an expert because they've already become uh, familiar with our other content and have developed that trust with us. So, but I do think that social content of being able to post things regularly, that's been critical for building our follower uh, base and just keeping them engaged with us. Um, we find that when we post about general content, they tend to have more comments. They tend to like the information more often. They tend to share it more often also. So that's been helpful for us to just continue to make our content visible in social channels. Sure. Well, certainly a lot of changes, as you mentioned, in healthcare over the past decade or more, and uh, a lot of changes to come, uh, mm -hmm. which is a, a good segue into our last question. So and this is a question we've asked of, of each of our guests so far, and it's sort of a, you know, it's sort of that classic interview question of where do you see yourself in five years, only in this case, applied to healthcare. 
but uh, but yeah, imagine you know imagine it's 2026. Um, you know, what do you think the that healthcare marketing will look like then, or how might it look, and uh, how could it possibly serve? And maybe it's more of a dual purpose of both attracting new patients, but uh, at the same time improving the actual patient experience. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think a couple things popped to mind for me with this. Um, you know, some of these things are already starting to happen, but I think will gain more momentum and grow further, you know, leaps and bounds in years ahead. Uh, the biggest one for me is, is, is the whole concept of virtual visits and, and having patients really adopt that as a viable treatment option for, for more than just having a common cold or something like that. Um, you know, we find that there's, there's definitely challenges with um, sometimes promoting the people who are further away geographically from us that, you know, they're trying to sort out how to come to Cleveland and, you know, and really using virtual visits as a, as a way to show people that, hey, it can be used for an initial concept, but it also is a really viable means for follow-up care. So if I live in, you know, if I live in Nevada and I want to come to Cleveland Clinic for care, you know, I might think to myself, well, I don't want to come back there every year for follow-up visits, things like that, for like a, a serious condition. But with virtual visits, you can do that remotely, and it, it makes us a more appealing option, I think, for some people. Um, I think also just seeing what you can do in a virtual visit by using other devices with that. So, you know, there's more and more things like with uh, measuring things like blood pressure or for diabetes or things like that where you can incorporate that into virtual visits. And I think we'll start to see even more of that in the years ahead. Um, so, you know, other areas that I, I see is that uh, continued advances in the electronic medical record that, um, you know, it already is a thing where you can share it across, you know, different systems. But um, but I think making that more user-friendly for patients will be a bigger thing in the future. Um, you know, the expanded use of artificial intelligence is another one that we're seeing. I mean, we see it in things like our call analytics. But I think using that in other means, such as chatbots, such as using a personal assistant like, um, you know, like the Amazon Echo, Alexa, things like that for um, helping to answer questions or even using it down the road for something as simple as like booking an appointment. I mean, right now, that's really problematic or a challenge really to do in healthcare to use that to say, you know, hey, I'd like to book an appointment. But, um, but I could see that coming down the road. It's just, you know, you have to lay that out, but, but I, I could definitely see that happening as more and more people are using those kinds of assistance, whether on their phone or on their device sitting in their house. Um, you know, and then the last area I think would be really just continuing to integrate um, enterprise data into the user experience. So, you know, we have information from our side, you know, things such as um, provider information, pricing, um, being able to book appointments with any physician directly through the website. Like right now, you can do that for some of our areas, but other areas, it's really more like you have to request an appointment and then you can coordinate a time and a place. Um, I, I think that that is gonna require a lot of coordination and uh, managing our data about the available slots that our physicians have and how we incorporate that real time into our website. But I could see that coming. And and same thing with pricing for um, for procedures. I think that's, one area that a lot of consumers are really looking for that, you know, health systems are starting to show it a little more in their websites, but it's um, it's still not always the easiest thing to find. And I think more and more people are, want to be able to kind of price match or price compare 
to see, hey, you know, if we cost a lot more than someone else, like, does that make sense for them to go there? Or, um, you know, just being able to have a more apples to apples comparison between health systems, I think will be important for patient experience. And I expect to see more of that to come in the years ahead, too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, a lot of good stuff in there. And I certainly look forward to what the healthcare uh, experience of the future will look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and Scott, before I let you go, I, um, you know, I, I know that the Cleveland Clinic has, uh, has recently celebrated or is celebrating a major milestone. Um, so I'm wondering if you could mm-hmm. kind of briefly talk about that. Um, before you do, I was going to add, I mean, for those of you who are listening who have not visited the clinic uh, in Cleveland, it really has a unique relationship. I mean, it's, uh, it's obviously both a uh, large local uh, medical system uh, within the Northeast Ohio area, but certainly also serves a, a global client base as well. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's had a unique relationship with the city and, um, and you know, a lot of great things have obviously happened over the years. So yeah, it's got to be want to talk about that real quick. And then also where uh, folks can maybe get more information about, um, um, you know, what's happening with that. Right sure. Now. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so we uh, celebrated last week. Um, so February 26th um, was of this year marked the 100-year anniversary of the founding of Cleveland Clinic. So we are so we are in the midst of celebrating our centennial year. Um, it's a pretty remarkable. Um, remarkable thing around our, our, our whole enterprise of just the history that um, this, uh, this healthcare system has had over the years is, is really amazing. Um, you know, the, the organization was started by four physicians who uh, had worked together in World War I, and they formed their own practice after coming out of the war um, and led to all these different advances over the years with heart surgery and you know, the face transplant and lots of different procedures. There are really too many to count. But um, we've been using the year really to kind of celebrate the achievements of, uh, you know, people in the past of our organization and really also use it to look ahead into the future of healthcare of seeing, hey, we've done a lot to really transform healthcare over the past 100 years and really starting to think ahead now to how can we do more of that in the next 100 years. So, um, we've been showcasing a lot of the achievements of the organization and kind of what's ahead for the clinic on our Centennial uh, microsite. You can see at clevelandclinic.org slash centennial. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really interesting. We had a new uh, a docuseries that just got released with CNN that talks about the history of the clinic, but about a lot of the things that, you know, that we see going on in our facilities every day. Uh, it's really a, a remarkable piece. Um, you see some patient stories that are really inspiring. Uh, I'll be honest, when you watch it at times, it feels like the room gets a little dusty because it really tugs at the heartstrings, but it's um but it's really some great stories about about the organization and you know the patients that we treat. So um, we're excited. We have a lot more to come this year of things that we're releasing and showcasing different aspects of our history. And um, again, if you want to check out ClevelandClinic.org/Centennial. Well, that's great. I look forward to uh, to checking that out. And uh, and Scott, really appreciate you taking the time with us today. This has been great to get your perspective. And uh, obviously, what's a you know a very fast-moving industry in terms of what's been happening in healthcare, not just in these pandemic times, but uh, just in the industry overall. So, uh, really appreciate your time, and I uh, you know hope you enjoy the rest of that sunny day there in Cleveland. Yeah, that's right. Hey, thanks a lot, John. I appreciate uh, you know coming on and also catching up. This has been great. Thanks. Right, sounds good.